if I haven't met you yet, my name is James, uh, and I get, thank you. First, first and foremost, uh, we, uh, if you have any prayer, this is serious, if you have any prayer requests, please write them down on your card. I go over every single one of these requests, and I want to make sure that um, you're getting prayed for. Prayer works. It's not just like we're, you know, talking to some figment of our imagination, you know, it works. So we want to make sure that you're letting us know what we can be praying for, let me know so that I can be praying for you. If you'd like to meet with me, I would love to meet with you. Uh, just write down, meet with the pastor, and, and I would love to, uh, to get some time with you, and that would be great. Love that. Uh, and also, I don't know about you, but I, I, and this is just my rant, because I'm the pastor, so I can rant today, I guess. Um, I went to the movies yesterday, and there's a reason I have this soft drink in my hands. This is from the movies last night. The reason why is when I went to go and get a small popcorn and small soda, he said, $15, please. $15 for a small soda and small popcorn? Are you kidding me? That's ridiculous. I'm going to milk this small soda for everything that it's worth. I'm going to drink a little bit of today, and tomorrow I'll drink a little bit more, and then by the end of the week, maybe I'll finish it. I'm going to make sure that it's worth that 15 bucks. but yeah. Um, but we are, uh, we are starting, a, this is my little rant, I'm sorry, just, you know. And by the way, I saw Star Wars. Anybody see Star Wars? Anybody gonna see Star Wars that didn't? No? Spoiler alert? It was just really sad when Chewbacca and all of them died at the end. So. All right. Okay, all right. Well, we have a, a quick video to show you, and then, uh, then we'll get our new series started. Now, does anybody in here have New Year's resolutions this year? But you're, yeah, I'm going to start off this year by doing this thing. Well, if you have a New Year's resolution, I'm sure there's more than just the two people that raise their hand. But if you have a New Year's resolution, then odds are it has something to do with exercise, working out, eating right. I'm assuming it's got something to do with that because studies show that that's the top three. They all have to do with working out, exercising, eating right. They all have to do with that, right? Now, I'm guessing that might be yours, since that's statistically the highest. It's followed by um, saving money and, and picking up a hobby. But those are the, the three biggest ones. Eating right, working out, exercising, all the other stuff. Now, do we continue to do that the whole year? I mean, if you don't love it, you're going to stop doing it. Because that same study that showed that working out, exercising, and all that other stuff is the top three, that same study also showed that within three weeks, you will stop doing that New Year's resolution within three weeks. So in January, you said, I'm going to work out and get in shape. And in January, you quit of that same year. Because you say, I can't do it. Why? Because you don't love it. You don't love it. You have to love it to keep it going. You know, I, I know people that work out, they love it. They can't live without it. Melanie loves working out. Four times a week, she goes to her bar class, and that is like her thing. 
and she schedules it and she makes sure that it's in there no matter what. Why? Because she loves doing it. But if you don't love it, waking up at 5 in the morning to go work out is going to get old quick. You're like, I don't know if I want to do that. I'm not sure I, I want to keep that going. I want to get in shape. I want to do something else. But I, I just, I, I don't know, waking up early or, or going after work, I'm just, I don't know if I want to do that. That's kind of exhausting and tiring because you don't love it. And then you finally do go to the gym, and then something happens where you mess up, and then you're like, I couldn't lift that weight already, and I wish I could, or I could only be on the treadmill for like two minutes without, you know, wanting to throw up or something. And, and it's like, well, forget it. I'm just going to have to say forget it. I'm not going to do it anymore. And you give up, and you quit. And you say, forget it. I'm not going to do it. Ironically enough, though, it's interesting how when women mess up, they just keep going for it. They just, you know, I'm going to mess up, and, and, and uh, if I fall off the treadmill, I'll get right back on. Uh, men are a little bit different because they act like they meant to mess up. I'm going to give you exhibit A and exhibit B of what I'm saying. First, exhibit A. This is what it looks like when a woman may just mess up at the gym or fall off the treadmill, whatever. She keeps going. Let's check this out. But does she quit? No. That was, that was, she was just trying to, you know, she's going for it. Here's what happens when a dude falls off. Let's check this out. Yeah, I meant to do that. I meant to do that. That was all part of my workout plan, because I meant to do that. That was, I, I intentionally did that. A little bit different. A little bit different. But when we fall off, a lot of times we just say, I want to quit, I want to give up. Then we feel bad about ourselves that day, and then that week, and then that month, and then finally that year. Why? Because the end of the year happened, and you didn't do any of the things that you said you were going to do when the year started. You, you're you're, you're uh, left confused and frustrated. You had a plan. You just didn't stick with that plan. Now, it's not that we're lazy. It's really not that we're lazy. We're actually very, very busy. We're just not busy doing the things that it's going to cause to get us where we want to be and who we want to be. This is the culture we live in right now is we're all busy doing, but we don't necessarily like who we're becoming. So we're doing a lot of stuff. We just don't like who we're becoming because the stuff we're doing is not getting us closer to who we want to be. Do you ever get so overwhelmed with everything that you have to do that you end up doing nothing? You just get so busy doing stuff, you don't have anything, any time to, to do anything that you really want to do. We live in an incredibly distractible age. Every movie, every song, every uh, uh, information, whatever you want, it's all in your pocket. It's all in your phone right here. And you can get access to anything you want in here. And when it pings or buzzes or alerts you or chirps at you, you have to look at it. You just have to. You're constantly being distracted. I might miss something. It might be an emergency. Uh, you know, I want to find out what the score is. Whatever it is, it's like I've got to get this thing. So you're incredibly distracted, which means that you're constantly, uh, you know, looking at stuff and, and checking out stuff that's not really that important. Now, the average user, to point this little point out, the average user touches their phone. This is a fact. 2,617 times a day. 
and is on their phone for more than two and a half hours over the course of 76 sessions, and that's all smartphone users. If you isolate millennials, the number is actually double. Technologists are telling us that virtually every device and app is being intentionally engineered to foster distraction and addiction. Because if you get distraction and addiction, you're going to keep buying my stuff. We now live in what's called an attention economy. Attention is the most valuable commodity because it's so difficult to capture. In fact, our attention span is dropping with each passing year. In the year 2000, as a fact, before the digital revolution, it was 12 seconds. That was our attention span, 12 seconds. It has now dropped to less than eight seconds, one second lower than a goldfish. <laughs> goldfish have longer attention spans than we do. This is crazy. Now, when I was, uh, this is crazy, it was already 20 years ago, but 20 years ago when I was working at Nextel, I'll never forget, I was at a sales meeting and uh, we was, the sales manager was getting us all pumped up and he held at the time, which what we all had was really cool, one of those brick phones. Like old, old school brick phones. And I thought it was so cool because I was, I was wearing it on my belt because I was one of the sales reps. It looked like I had a lightsaber. It was just like this huge thing. And uh, I was like, yes, we're cool and, and we're the digital revolution. And he held it up and he says, one day you will be able to do your crazy grocery shopping. One day you'll be able to talk to friends and see them on the phone. We're like, that's crazy. Uh, one day uh, you will, um, kids, school kids, high school kids all over the country are going to have one of these. And we're like, that's impossible. You know what this thing's cost a minute? No way. Only corporate people could have those. And, that, and, and he said something that was really interesting. He said, in one day, nobody will have telephones in their home anymore. And I thought, that's just crazy. The telephone's been around for over 100 years. And in a couple of years, it's going to be irrelevant. And I just looked around. We don't have a telephone anymore. Melanie and I don't. And, when, and, and the girls have these little rotary phones with a cord. They have a little Minnie Mouse one and a, and a fancy Nancy phone. And they like to play and, and call each other. And I'm like, you know, girls, when Daddy was little, uh, that's what my parents had. I had a little cord, and it looked exactly like that. Your, your, your grandmother had its phone, and it looked exactly like that. And they go, what? That's crazy. And I'm like, no, it's true. And Piper's like, that's not true, Daddy. You go, why? She goes, well, Daddy, she holds up the big phone. She goes, where do you take the picture? There's nowhere to take the picture. <laughs> it's impossible. It can't happen. You know, it's crazy. We're busy, driven by the urgent, not important. We're more active than proactive. We're driven by the urgent and not important. We're uh, more re reactive than proactive. All of which can leave us feeling like I don't like my life, but I'm trapped. It's like, uh, it's like being in serious debt, really. It's like you, you ran up such a serious debt that you're just paying the minimum on your credit card. And you're exhausted. Because you're working so hard and all you're doing is just paying the minimum. Well, that's what we do with our time. We overextend ourselves doing just a bunch of stuff that we just are exhausted all the time. And we're not any closer to where we want to be. So we're just exhausting ourselves with a bunch of stuff that doesn't really matter. Yet despite how technology has exaggerated this reality, it's always been a problem. Luke 10, 41 and 42 says this. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed. Or needed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Now, sometimes we don't realize how worried and upset we are, or how much our anxiety and distractibility have turned us into somebody we don't want to be until someone or something points it out. Sometimes, if a person, sometimes the end of a season, if you don't have an accountability partner, someone that's in your life to point these truths out to you, you're never going to know. 
for me, it was both. I have accountability part. It was also the end of a season. I can honestly tell you that I am a better pastor today than I was a few years ago. Because when a season ended, I had to focus on what exactly is important. What am I doing? Am I, am I, am I trying to, 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 to be a, what God made me to be, who he made me to be? Or am I trying to compete with the next guy to get more things and more people and more budgets and more all these other stuff? I am a better pastor today because that season ended. And it caused me, forced me to really give this to God and go, what am I doing? What, 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 where do you want me to be and what is it you want me to do? He'll allow that to happen. Distractions have and always will exist. The question is, why are we so distractible? Now, here's what it means. Distraction is the desire to avoid or escape reality. It's an external excuse to have to deal with, the, the, to not have to deal uh, with the deeper internal dysfunction we don't want to face. We all have this. Fear of commitment or failure. Knowing uh, that getting where you want to go will take longer than you want to take. Knowing the resistance that you'll have to encounter. Fear of disappointing others, falling short of expectations, or letting them down. So we escape reality. We will take a pill. We will drink a drink. We will go on that website. We'll do whatever it takes to escape the reality of all of our fears that we have. And we're constantly trying to distract our own selves. So we don't want to have to deal with that. The growth you'll experience is limited to the level of pain you're willing to endure. So whatever you're willing to take on, that's as far as you're going to go. That's as far as you'll go. Unfortunately, our culture is more than willing to step in and help us escape. You don't need to face and deal with that. Muscle through it. Work on. Surrender. You don't need to do any of that. You know, just quit. Give up. In short, time management is pain management. The big question is, am I willing to face the pain necessary to become who I'm meant to be with the limited time available to me? And friends, I have done way, way too many funerals to tell you that this time that we have is precious and it's very, very limited. Extremely limited. People say, well, your time and your money is the most valuable thing. Your time far outweighs money. Money you can replace no problem. You will never get time back. You have to be far more concerned about what you're doing with it. Psalms 90.12 tells us this. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. So let's talk about someone who did this. A little bit of, little bit of a backstory on Daniel. His nation fell, his temple ransacked, cities burned, friends and family murdered and kidnapped, and, he, and forced to serve the people who did this to him. Now, Daniel 1, 11 through 14 says this. Daniel then said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Please, test your servants for ten days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat, and, uh, eat, who eat the royal food. And treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So we agreed to this and tested them for ten days. Now it is assumed that Daniel will just do whatever he's told to do, whatever he else is doing. But that's not who Daniel is. Those aren't Daniel's values. And he has the boldness to speak up. Do you? Do you have the boldness to speak up? To talk about what he, he had the boldness to talk about what he felt he needed to be the best version of himself. In fact, he believed that he would contribute on a higher level if he cared for himself in this way. And this is impressive because the more access we have to excess, the harder it is to deny ourselves. If you think you win the lottery and it'll solve all your problems, I'm sorry, it will not. It just won't. You'll have more money, but if you think that solves all your problems, it won't. Daniel 3, 1 through 6 says this. 
King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold 60 cubits high and 6 cubits wide and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. He then summoned the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of this image he had set up. So the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials assembled for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before it. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, nations and peoples of everywhere, of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of that king Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be uh, thrown into a blazing furnace. Again, he's put in a situation where what's expected, even demanded, isn't healthy. So he graciously builds a boundary, even though everyone else is going to do this. If you're doing what everyone else is doing and it's not working for you or them, maybe it's time to try something else. Because truthfully, much of what will bring you peace will initially sound nonsensical because it's profoundly countercultural. Daniel's story is particularly fascinating because the stakes are so high. It's life and death. But in Daniel 1.8, he says this, But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. He was making a decision in the moment that he predecided way before he got there. Knowing what you need to do is about first knowing who you want to be. Knowing what you need to do is about first knowing who do you want to be. Are you just going to go and what everyone else tells you to be, or are you going to be who God made you to be? Hebrews 12.1 says this, Therefore, since we are sur surrounded by such great clouds of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Well, who do you want to be? Because that's going to determine what you do. So if time management is pain management, I have a serious question for you guys as you start 2020. What's worth suffering for? What's worth suffering for? What's, what is it? What's worth fighting over the distractions for? If you don't know the answers to those questions, you don't know what to stop or what to start doing because you don't know what's important. Sorry. Determining your schedule is about predeciding what's worth suffering for. We are so busy doing things that don't ultimately matter. But when you set up your schedule with things that actually matter, you're going to see your life change. I want uh, uh, to practice the exercise with you today. When you go home today, I want you to literally clear off all the decks of your schedule. Clear it all off. That there's nothing on your schedule anymore. And then what... Then piece by piece put back in to that schedule what's important because if you look at your schedule right now i'm assuming you're very busy you live in southern orange county there's a ton of stuff to do i'm sure you're busy but busy doing what is it getting you any closer to who you want to be are you going to end 2020 exactly uh with all the same frustrations you have today you know, when we set up our schedule, a lot of times what we do is we, uh, we, we take out the things that we need most. So reading the Bible, ah, I don't have time for that. Going to church, ah, I don't have time for that. Uh, 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 connecting with friends and being held accountable, ah, I don't have time for that. But I have time for the gym. I have time to go to do all this fun stuff that I want to do, but I don't have time to get closer to God. You're going to get what you get. 
And then we get frustrated and go, God, why did you let my life get out of control? He's like, I'm right here. You're not looking at me remotely. You're, look, you're doing whatever you want to do. You're filling up your schedule with whatever you want to fill it up. That's your decision. I'm not going to make you love me. But I am right here. Like Daniel, invest your time in what will last forever. He knew King Nebuchadnezzar's reign wouldn't last forever. Daniel 5, 25 and 28 says this. This is the inscription that was written. Mini tikio parsa. Here's what these words mean. Meaning God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. Tikio, you have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. In Paris, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. You don't want the end of your life and realize, like the king, with unlimited access to excess, that your days are numbered, and because you didn't invest them well, you came up wanting, and all you had will now be ripped from you. So before you just live another year, maybe it's time to slow down and ask yourself, what is, what is it you truly value, and, and is that evident in the way you organize your life? Now, you can say all you want, God, I want peace this year. I want joy this year. I want to have better relationships this year. We always say that, right, in the beginning. I want to have better relationships. I want to connect with friends this year. I want to do all these things this year. But what are you doing to get there? And if you don't know your values, you're just going to stay to be aligned with God's values. And here's what, it, here's what I'm saying. Values are who we want to be, what we want to stand for, and how we relate to the world around us. So values. And Jesus promises when we live according to truly transcendent values, we find peace. Peace is the ability to calmly and effectively, with strength and joy, that which really matters. So are you trying to portray the perfect life or attain the most stuff? Or are you going to tell God what, you should, what he should do for you? Or are you going to follow his lead? Now, when I always tell people, when I meet with people, I say, have you gotten into the word? They say, no, because I've got real problems. As if the word is like this old book of fairy tales that can't help you, you know? It's like, ah, no, no, I didn't, you know, I don't, I don't get in the word. But I did a good deed the other day, and I think that canceled something out. I don't know. It's like, no, you don't understand. There is power in the word of God. There's power in it. There's an extraordinarily amount of, of, of power and fruit in that. And, and, and sometimes we say, well, well, I don't understand. Then talk to somebody. We quit like that, guys. Do you know how many people I know that say, I'm going to read the Bible all year. I'm going to read a little bit of it, and then in the entire year, I'm going to read the Bible. Like, really, it's December. Where are you at? Uh, I'm in Genesis. You know, it's a great book. Great book. But I can't really pass that. Why? Because, honestly, guys, I'm sorry. To say, I am not judging you because I've been guilty of the same thing. If you do not get into the Word, it's because you don't love it. Sorry. You're going to quit if you don't love it. If you don't go to church, you don't love it. If you're not talking to God, I'm sorry, you don't love him. I'm sorry, I know that sounds harsh and judgmental, but I've been guilty of the exact same thing. I've had seasons in my life where I'm like, I just don't want to hear you right now. He, you never stopped loving me, but I've just said, I just can't deal with this anymore. And I can't. So what's the power in prayer? What's the power in getting in the word? Vic, my brother, shared this with me, and I thought it was really appropriate. Uh, but a sudden recently uh, done showed that getting into the word, with, uh, word of God four times a week results in this. These are factual statistics. Feeling, getting in the word of God four times a week results in this. Feeling lonely drops by 30%. You ever feel lonely? 
You, a lot of you feel lonely. You got a Bible right next to you. You're not even looking at it. It drops 30%. Anger issues dropped 32%. Anybody in here get angry? 32%. Bitterness in your relationships, marriage, kids, etc., drops 40%. 40%. And you got a Bible right there. You don't even want to look at it. Alcoholism drops 57%. Fear, feeling spiritually stagnant drops 60%. I'm sure a lot of us have felt spiritually stagnant before. Viewing pornography drops 61%. But on the other side of this, sharing your faith jumps by 200%. When you're in the Word four times a week, sharing your faith jumps by 200%. Because you have a confidence in God and God's word. And discipling jumps by 200%. Guys, these are facts. The Bible is not a, a history book of just random stuff that happened with some, some wizardy, wizardy tricks that happened a long time ago. It's not something that, that, we, that, we, that we get to judge other people. And if anybody's ever used the Bible to judge you, they don't have an understanding of what the Bible actually says. Jesus says, hold on a second. You've all sinned and fallen short. That's why I'm here. So you don't have the right to judge anybody. So if you're, if you're not right with this, don't. I'm, there's been times I haven't either. And I'm a pastor. We, we all mess this up. That's why we need each other. You have a choice. Like we talked about working out. If you don't love it, you will stop in three weeks. And we keep thinking, well, we've got the time. Friends, you don't. You know, I was driving to work, uh, to work, to church today, oh, work church, um, and um, I wasn't feeling very good. By the way, we have the best volunteers ever. I, I wasn't able to come and set up this morning, and it was already all done, so thank you to all of you who come in early and serve, and Cap, and Billy, and all you guys, thank you so much, Andrew. Um, but I was, I, was, I was turning in, and I saw a, a motorcyclist run a red light. The light was red for a while, and the motorcyclist, boom, ran a red light. And the car had to stop before he hit him. That guy made it. This week, I was having lunch with my buddy Dave, and, um, and uh, uh, he looked on his phone, and he said, oh, my gosh, did you see what happened to our friend Trevor? We were in a fraternity in college together, uh, and Trevor was golfing with some other old fraternity brothers, and they were there to cheer up another guy that's going through cancer. They were golfing. He passed out. Another guy gave him CPR. Guy in his early 40s died of a heart attack on the ambulance on the way to the hospital. He was there to support another guy because that guy was dealing with cancer. He woke up that morning thinking, I'm going to go support this guy. And his wife, his newly married wife, didn't see him come home that day. If you think you have all the time in the world, I'm sorry you don't. And if I'm passionate about this, it's because I'm understanding what this means. And if anything that I've said offends you, I, I'll, I'll, I'll live with that. If it means that you'll actually come to, to, to find out who you are, I'm okay with it. Because it's too important to start this year thinking you have tomorrow. You're not guaranteed it. Neither am I. I needed a season to end in ministry to show me this is what I need to do with my life. Maybe God has allowed things to happen in your life. I get it. 
crappy things happen in life. I get it. I totally do. It's happened to me, and I know it's happened to you. Yeah, but my, my marriage or, or my job or my health or my whatever, I get it. I, you up, I get it. But you do have time, guys. God woke you up this morning. What are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with it? Now, this isn't just for, for you. This is for me, too, okay? Because I need to learn this stuff, too. So if you've ever gone to a church where the pastor tells you, go do this, um, I always sat there going, well, what are you going to do? I mean, you, have some, I mean, you have some responsibility in this, too? So yes, I do. I do. I do. I have the responsibility of this as well. I have to take, uh, make sure that I uh, am held accountable, too. So let me tell you, um, for me, I got this example from um, really asking God, what do you want me to do with my time? When I was in seminary, there was a couple of big heroes in my life. And I'm going to be very uh, honest with you guys here. Uh, there were guys like Mark Driscoll and Pete Wilson and uh, uh, Andy Stanley and, uh, and Francis Chan. And when I was in seminary, I wanted to be those guys because those guys equaled success. They wrote books. They had big, giant churches. Those guys were the guys you wanted to be like. Before those guys came in, the previous generation of superstars were like, you know, Chuck Smith and, and Robert Schuller and Rick Warren and Bill Hybels and all these guys. And then, and before, you know, I was in there, like, everybody wanted to be like those guys. And it's like, we always had these, these are the, this is the bar you want to hit. And I'm in seminary and I'm working hard and I'm working hard in the church because I want to be like those guys. Instead of sopping and saying, God, what do you want me to do with my time? I want to be like those guys that have a big church and speak at all these different conferences and be like a cool rock star like these guys are. And I realized that's not what God wanted for me. And, and one of the guys that what I looked up to, Francis Chan, he understood this. Francis had it all. He had a mega church called Cornerstone that he founded. It was a gigantic church. He was getting, he was a rock star. I remember when I was working at a previous church, when he showed up, people wanted his autograph. People wanted a pastor's autograph. This is crazy. What are we doing? They wanted his autograph, or they wanted to take a picture with him, or they wanted this thing, like, you know, like, like he just, you know, hit a grand slam to win the World Series or something. They wanted to be around this, these guys. And he realized, you know what? God, I only have this much time. Do I want to sit back and just collect all of this attention and money and fame and all this other stuff? Or do I really want to do what you, do I really mean these, these messages meant to teach? And he walked away from it to start a smaller movement of believers in San Francisco. Let me give you a little uh, uh, lesson on church planting. Don't go to San Francisco. It is enormously difficult to start anything in San Francisco when it comes to the church. You want to start, I, I tell people all the time that are asking me for advice in seminary, where do I plant? Go to Dallas. Go to, it's big. You get lots of people love Jesus and they want to go to church. Go start there. But San Francisco, that's a tough one. But that's what he did. And instead of explaining that to you, I want you to see what Francis has to say from his own words. So the next question is, uh, what is working well in your We Are Church model that others can reproduce in other areas in San Francisco or elsewhere? Okay. That's a good question. Okay, so those who don't know, I started a church in Southern California just out of my living room. Ended up growing to like 5,000 people. 
Um, not in my living room. But, uh, you know, so we did the typical church, and that's all I knew what to do. But I got frustrated at a point, just biblically. I'm going, wait a second. According to the Bible, every single one of these people has a supernatural gift that's meant to be used for the body. And I'm like, 5,000 people show up every week to, to hear my gift, see my gift. That's a lot of waste. Then I start thinking, how much does it cost to run this thing? Millions of dollars. And I'm going, gosh, how come people in other countries go to church for free? Like, that seems like a waste. So I'm wasting the, the human resource of these people that, according to Scripture, have a miraculous gift that they could contribute to the body, but they're just sitting there quietly. Meanwhile, they'll go to their companies, and they're running big companies, they're doing this and that, and yet they just sit there and listen to me. And year after year, and just got so convicted, I thought, wait, and then the Bible says, oh, I forgot we're supposed to love each other. Like, that's not a small command. Like, that's over and over. He says, this is how they'll know you're my disciples, by the way you love one another. And then there's over 50 one another's in the New Testament. So I'm going, God, I'm so sorry. Our people don't even like each other. You know, like I make them greet each other for 30 seconds. You know, like that's, that's the extent. And it doesn't, it's not like we're mean to each other. We, we just, we like people if they were like us and we'd pick, you know, little clicks. But it, I was like, God, this, you wanted a church that was known for their love. You wanted a group of people where everyone was expressing their gifts and, and otherwise, that body, he, he talks about we're a body. I'm one member. Maybe I'm the mouth. But if the mouth is the only thing that's working in the church, and I'm trying to drag the rest of the body along, chewing on the carpet and inching, <laughs> you know, I, what would a body look like where everyone's using their gifts and everyone's eagerly pursuing the spiritual gifts like First Corinthians tells us to do? Man, what could that be like? And is it even possible like if we were a church and started one right now, could we literally, by the power of the Holy Spirit, love each other so much that people would, it would blow people's minds? Like where none of us have a need because it's like, oh, man, I just got fired. You work here? Yeah, okay. Um, <laughs> I do have a prophetic gift, though. Um, and, you know... Like, would we then come around our sister and go, whoa, that was crazy. You were right in there. And he said it. And so when I came to San Francisco, what do we do for her? Like, can we be known for this? And so when I came to San Francisco, I just thought, you know what? I, and again, it was that weird celebrity thing where I just go, I just want to hide. And I just, there's one in the TL. Um, no one reads crazy love there. And uh, <laughs> I just want to go and just talk to people and pray for people. I want to gather people in gatherings where they can actually use their gifts. And, and could it be that we could actually obey all of the one another? All the one another's, that's right. So I wanted you to see that because this pertains to pastors too. And for me, I don't want to just stand up here and say, you need to do this and you need to clear your calendar and you need to do that and you need to do this. We have to all look at ourselves and go, what are we going to do with our time, my time? My time, as long as I'm here, is to make sure that I'm doing everything I can to foster relationships. I don't have the power to save you or to heal you. 
sports, you fix everything. I don't have the power to do that. But God the Father, Jesus Christ has that power. And I can pray for you. I can go to him with that. So what are you doing here, James? I'm going to foster relationships. I'm going to help you see that you're not a spectator in this show. That we start with a few songs in the show. And then the main event of the show. And then we wrap up with the final song of the show. This isn't a show, guys. This is a family. This is a church body. You have gifts I don't have. You have gifts the person sitting next to you doesn't have. Just like Francis was saying, we got people in here that run companies. We have people here that have won awards and prizes for teaching. We have people here that are organized in finances. We have people here that are marketing geniuses. We have people here that have actually done public speaking and, 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 and are comfortable with that. We have people here that have gifts. You have gifts. And I will not have this church be the James show. Where you come in, you see the guy talking, and I like this guy. Come see this guy. He's really good. It's not about me. It's about me getting you to see you have something in you that God wants to unleash. There is so, in this room alone, guys, in less than one year, this room is larger than most churches in the United States. This room has so much unused talent and potential and passion and gifts and love that we can literally do some things that you can't even think of in this community. Right now, our community feels, or, or is used to, I go to church, and then, you know, uh, they, they have this thing, and then I go home, and then they got some donuts, and da, da, da. No, we're going to do something different. You, you are going to do something different. Bottom line is, I'm not making any other churches look bad, because we're all on the same team. God is, it's irrelevant with the name on the church to God. It's all his. But he does care about you individually. What are you doing? With your time. That's what I want to do with my time, guys. Do I feel like we have the church to do that? Yes. Yes, I do. Why? Because you could go to another church and take 10 minutes to get there and have every possible amenity you would want. You would have any, you could have a kid's thing that looks like Disneyland. You could have, uh, 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 you know, uh, uh, comfortable seats. You could have all this other stuff. Uh, you could have all that, and you could drive in 10 minutes in any direction and get it. But you're here, pulling up carpet, wheeling in TVs, setting up stages. You're surrounding by basketball courts. And you're no wimp, a gym. But you're here. You're no wimp. You're not taking some sort of a easy, like, I'll just whatever. You're here because God's put you here, and he's got something for you. We're going to do this together. This will not be a one-person show. We're going to do this together. So, what needs to go on your calendars first this year? What is it that when you emerge from it makes you feel awake, alive, from the inside out, rested, refreshed, and ready for what's next? Do that. Slate that. Schedule that. Prioritize that. Focus on that. Fight what distracts you from that. And in doing so, even though you'll wade through the pain, you will find peace. Just like in working out when you've got spotters, you've got people in this church that will not let you quit. 
I want to give up on, 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 on this relationship. I want to give up on God. I want to give up on church. I want to give up on life. I won't let you quit. Neither will the person next to you because this is a family. We are going to be spotters for each other. We're not going to let you quit. We're going to do this together. We're going to start 2020 in just that way. Are you with me on that? All right, let's pray. Father, I just thank you so much for your church, God. I thank you so much for what you're going to do in 2020, God. I know that you've got big plans for your church, God. There's something that is happening in your church. Many churches right now are starting to wake up to a new reality, God, that attention spans are shorter, busyness is happening more than ever, and we can't rely on the same old way of doing things, God. We've got to look to you for direction, for guidance. We've got to make the church about you, not about a person. We've got to rely on you for, 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 for hope and for peace and for love and for grace, God. We, we've got to go back to just being there for each other, knowing each other, not just passively waving, but just actually knowing each other, being a part of each other's lives. God, we, we want to start this year off saying with one voice that we are for you. God, if there's somebody here that is struggling, that uh, has not said yes to you, for many reasons, maybe other Christians have hurt their feelings, maybe a church has hurt them, maybe they, they're in a really dark place right now and they can't see you right now. I just pray that, God, that you know who they are and that you, you make yourself known to them right now, God. And if they want to, God, I pray that they could just follow this prayer, and that is Jesus I am asking you to be real in my life right now. I am accepting you as my Savior, and I want to start fresh today, the best way I know how, to be with you, God, today, tomorrow, and forever. I accept you into my life as my Savior. Father, that simple prayer, if they just said that simple prayer, Father, I pray that they have the confidence to let us know about it, to let me know about it. To write it down on a card and said, I said that prayer with you. I'm starting fresh today. I'm starting new today in 2020. And so, God, I, I just thank you so much for anybody who, who did that, God, so we can come alongside them and help them through all of the pain that they're going to experience. But we're also going to celebrate what you have for them. That's in your precious name. Amen.